Hello and welcome to the Life is Story podcast. I'm Josh Olds, and today my guest is Rochelle Decker, whose upcoming novel, Nine, is set to come out the 1st of September. Rochelle, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. All right, so let's start out and just give the listeners your elevator pitch for this novel. Yeah, so this is a story about two women whose paths collide unexpectedly, one who is doing everything she can to forget her past, and another who can't remember anything about her past at all, and they're kind of caught up in this sudden um, chase scenario where the FBI is hunting the girl with no memory, and they're forced to kind of go on the run and discover the truth about what is happening, who are they, and how that will change their perception of not only identity, but the world itself. Mm -hmm. So... I have to ask where the concept, where, you know, where does the concept for that book come from? Were there any influences to it? Yeah, so I, um, I wanted to do something really different and fun. I wanted to write high suspense, high chase, high stakes kind of thing, which is not something I've really done before um, in that regard. And so I, I just wanted it to be mostly fun. Like I, when I set out to write this novel, I thought I just want it to be as fun for me to write as possible. I'm, you know, I, I'm going to try and not make it too deep. It always goes that way. That's just kind of the way the muse in my mind works. But I wanted it to just be super fun. And I had watched this show called Hannah on okay, yeah. Amazon Prime. Um, the second season just came out, which I haven't seen yet. But the first season, I was already toying with similar concepts that are in the show and then the show came out and that, my first reaction was unbelievable. I was literally <laughs> just going to write a story like this. And of course the show comes out that did very well, but instead of letting it deter me, I decided to just feel like an artist. That's my, one of my favorite books and one of my favorite terms and use and let it, it the inspiration of that show kind of drive me to continue down the path I was on. I'm a, I, I always think the next idea for my novel whatever novel I'm about to write is already known in my subconscious somewhere. And then I get inspired by something and it pulls out an idea I've already kind of been dwelling on. And if that happens, then I know it's the next book for me because mm -hmm. I have many ideas happening, right? I'm what I'm in. I write a story about this. I write a story about this. I write a story about this. And then something I'll interact with something. I'll read a book. I'll read an article. I'll have a conversation with somebody. I'll see a show. And one of those ideas will come to light and I'll, be the only one I'm able to think about and that's what happened with mm -hmm. the concept for nine yeah. um, through watching that show so I definitely was majorly inspired by that specifically which um, it's a killer show if you haven't seen it um, it's a I'll great have, great show I'll have to put it on my list yeah and you, you have to put it on your list and, I, and so then I just kind of you know made mine very different it's, you know because um, I have a, a lot more uh, I think emotional worldview ties. I mean, I always try to bring it back to, you know, dealing with identity and what that really means, asking these bigger questions about like, who are we and why are we here and what are we doing? Um, so, but it was definitely inspired, you know, by that show. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of thought of it as like, I, I think that the, the prototypical kind of search for identity spy ish characters like Jason Bourne, like someone who yeah. has, you know, these special abilities and, and like everyone kind of riffs off of that. And I'm sure that Bourne riffed off of, off of other things from the time. And, and I and also, it also really made me think of like L from stranger things. 
Um, yeah. I think, and, I, and I think it's, that's just because, you know, the number, the number system, uh, in a way, yeah. but also kind of secret government experiments and, and the, see the, all these things are not things that are necessarily unique. So when you're, you know, when you're writing that, how do you, you know, how do you be like, okay, there's all of these influences, obviously themes like this really resonate with a number of writers, be they uh-huh. TV writers, movie writers, book writers, so how do you make your story stand out amid all of that? Yeah, that's really tough. I mean, I think there's the iconic saying, there's nothing new under the sun is true. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure exactly what, I, what, what people say, but I think it's like there's five stories in total, right? And um, it may even be less than that. It may be there are, there are only three stories. And you're just trying to tell yours in the most authentic way to you as possible. So I knew going in, I mean, there's, I'm never going to have a revolutionary idea. Those don't really exist anymore. Um, in, it's just about having a revolutionary way of telling a story that already, that's already been told because we're all so connected and similar. And even though we have different experiences and we deal with pain differently, it's still all the same kinds of pains, the same, you know, pain of loss, pain of, you know, and not, not being able to find your identity, pain of um, not measuring up, pain of, you know, try, t- trying to navigate life. We're all dealing with the same kinds of fears. They just express themselves in unique situations and in unique circumstances, which can often make us feel really alone, but actually we're not, we're all, we're all connected in that way. And so when you attack a story like this, that, you know, has been done a million times in a million ways, I think the only thing it can do for me is like, first of all, shut out as much of all the other noise as possible and really just tell the story that I want to read that's as authentic to my voice as possible. And there will be tons of people who say I ripped it off from other sources. And so I have to just ignore that because everything's ripped off from something. And, you know, um, I, I just, if I love it, if I feel like it was authentic to my voice, because that's the unique part that I bring is my sensibilities, my imagination, um, my authentic self, then I'm, I've done all that I can do. And I just have to let the rest be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And for sure. It also says something about when, when you have, like, like, not you know, it's not the whole story, but the, the the overarching elements and you know the search for identity. When you when you come up on themes like that and stories like that, where there are so many different people from so many different media that are exploring those topics, it, it, it tells you a couple of things. It tells you number one that these are the stories that people want to hear, because we wouldn't be writing you know various versions of these stories if they did not resonate with people uh if they were not popular so you know that's like okay we're gonna we're gonna take like what works Uh, but second of all it's because you know we keep i feel like we keep writing stories especially stories like this where we're talking about what does it mean to be human um nature or nurture in terms of of who we are as adults um what is how does our past affect our present and future all of these questions we we keep exploring that because i don't really feel like that we're satisfied with the answer like this is a this is a yeah. universal human experience uh and we keep we keep you know looking for 
that the answer to that question, uh, we keep trying to explore that question in media because it's, it's harder to explore in real life. So we explore it in this, this world of fiction that we've created. Yeah, it's safer. I mean, I think that's one of the beautiful things about fiction that I always found as a reader first. You know, I fell in love with fiction, obviously, because I was obsessed with reading a story. I think that's a very typical story um, for most writers. And I always felt like I had space to explore ideas in my mind when I was putting myself in the shoes of character who's fictional. Like, it gives you a lot of license and freedom because it doesn't feel as personal even though it is it's like a tricky way for the mind um so i always find even now i i explore best through my own writing or through the things i'm reading currently so you know usually if i've if i've hooked onto a concept like what does it mean to be human or does our past define us like you just said you know nurture versus nature all of these things then they must be questions my subconscious is kind of exploring and asking as well and it's safest for me to do that exploration as i craft a character that's not real the consequences are all on page and they're fiction um so i think that's one of the most impactful things about story in any medium whether it's Know, the written word, television, movie, even nonfiction actually kind of gives you some of that. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's one of the reasons I'm so drawn to it. Mm-hmm. Now, that, that theme of identity is super strong in your novels. And you, you've written across several genres. You, you mentioned you just wanted to write something that's very high-octane suspense thriller here. Uh, but, you know, all, all of your novels from, from your uh, Choosing series, the trilogy, huh? um, like, on... From the very beginning, regardless of what genre that you've written in, dystopian, psychological thriller, I think Girl Behind the Red Rope is probably between psychological thriller and speculative. Um, yeah. What? So, so obviously when you, when you started your writing career, uh, did you sit down and you think, this is this question I want to explore, or has that just sort of become what you've done through your career? Right. Yeah, no, I think probably both um i definitely you, you know there's kind of this unfortunate element to um like branding and marketing where they're like who are you like when mm-hmm. people pick up a rochelle decker novel what are they getting like that's what the publisher asks you before you know it's like one of the one first questions they have when you're sitting in a meeting before you've written a novel and you're like um i don't know i mean i have no idea what i'm gonna write it's just such a hard thing to um ask a person who's just started a career but and I think for me I at the time I was like well I'm just always going to ask questions about like who am I and like who are we and how are we connected and I'll just bring it all back to identity um and I so so it was a little bit of like yes I kind of set out to do that and then also as I've gotten now you know to my sixth and seventh novel where I feel a little bit more like I'm just gonna write whatever I want because that kind of starts to happen Mm -hmm. um those themes still find themselves working into my novel because I think that that's the theme that I am always struggling with um or I'm always searching I I think everybody is asking who am I like if everybody knew with 100% certainty who they were what their purpose was, how to execute it, how to be here, and, they, and and that continued with them all of their lives, then, you know, we would see so much more peace and resolution um, than we do, than we have in our world. People are 
always fighting with these ideas of what makes them unique, what makes them an individual. Um, and as you get older, you the things that I thought I was certain were part of me when I was, you know, 21, now in my early 30s, I'm, I'm like, wait a second, I've totally changed. Mm-hmm. Your identity is then also changing and shifting. So I think the idea of identity and, and these questions are just something everybody relates with and are constant through all of our lives. And as you get into different circumstances, those questions of identity are either rebirthed or they're given, they're presented to you in a new way now because now you're traveling like as a parent or as a spouse or as a grandparent or, I mean, there's, you know, or you lose somebody you love and now, now who am I? I think that that just is just a reoccurring theme that's just really easy um, and relatable to stake a, a novel on. And then you can really do anything with it because it comes through in almost every circumstance of every story that I can imagine or yeah. that I watch, um, you know. Yeah, well, every, everybody, so, yeah. Can, everybody can identify with it because everybody has an identity and everybody is trying yeah. to figure out, even subconsciously, you know, uh-huh. what, who, who, what does it mean to be me? Uh, what makes me stand yeah. out? Uh, you you've written in 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 several different genres. So, it, was that a decision from the beginning? Of, did did you think that you know when you when you wrote the choosing, did you think okay dystopian like YA dystopian fiction that's my genre that's what I'm doing, or did you think okay I'm going to, you know shift my writing mm-hmm. every novel every series or whatever to explore <laughs> different genres. Yeah, definitely not. I I was going to be a YA writer till the day I died mm-hmm. when I started the Choosing series. That was all I'd ever written. That was all I basically ever read, um, other than Ted Decker stuff, um, naturally. But I was just I I still primarily only read YA. I love YA. I think my home and heart is probably meant to be back there eventually. Um, and it was a, it was one of those unfortunate kind of political. Moves. It's not unfortunate because I love what I've done and I've really enjoyed it. And having to write like in contemporary adult fiction mm. stretches you because there's not as much license for sloppy writing. There's not as much <laughs> license. You don't get away with as much mm-hmm. as you do in, in young adults. Um, and the topics have to be heavier. They have to be more connectable to, you know, a, a group of people who have lived more life. So, um yeah, so I thought I was always going to do YA, but the publisher at the time really was like, okay, well, Christian YA actually isn't really selling as well as we'd like it to. So would you be uncomfortable trying your hand at like contemporary adult psychological thriller? And I was like, yes, I would be uncomfortable doing that, but I'm not afraid of being uncomfortable, so I will try it. And so Windsor Deep Waters was kind of my first stab at that. And I struggled with that novel, unlike mm-hmm. I, I will probably, ne- I shouldn't say I will never struggle with a novel like that again, because now I probably will. But it was, I just didn't really understand how to do it. Because um, it's a different kind of writing. And I, my, I, wrote, I rewrote that novel four or five times from scratch, which I've hardly ever done with a novel in a contract. So I had to keep like delaying um, my due date, my turn in date, which was very stressful. It was only my fourth novel. And, you know, even then the end result, the publisher was, was not really happy with. And so it was a, it was a very 
strange experience for me. I learned a ton through it. But even the first couple of iterations I turned in, they were like, Rochelle, this is too, like, it's still too young adult. It's still too fantasy. It's still too speculative. Like, this is, you know, we're talking about, like, and I was like, I don't, I don't know how not to do that. <laughs> so um, it was just a way, it was, there I was navigating, like, who am I as a writer now? And how do I approach this challenge that's been handed to me? So, but I did find a different kind of side to my voice in that process. And, you know, the the sad truth is that YA is a very hard market to be in. And, you know, if I was self-publishing myself, which I consider doing because of this reason exactly, then I could probably have a little bit more freedom. But when you're working under contract, you do have to present something to the publisher that they can sell and work with. Um, and so I'm kind of obviously stuck in that contemporary adult arena. I've just gone, I've just found a partner now. Um, in, with my my publisher Ravel, who's incredible, who lets me do kind of speculative adult fiction in a way that really works for my writing style. So you know, Girl uh, Behind the Red Rope and Nine, and the the one I'm getting ready to jump in here soon. Um, they'll there. I feel like they satisfy that part that I found in young adult that I wasn't getting necessarily before. So it's just a way of of kind of merging what I do with what I love um, and what is expected of me. But it is a really tricky thing, and I would love to return to the young adult space and to kind of fantasy and speculative, dystopian, sci-fi. Like, that's really where – I mean, that's I, that's just all I read. That's I just love that mm-hmm. arena. Mm-hmm. It's just not where I am right now, but I definitely foresee me being there again. You, you talked about um... – sort of the struggle within the publishing industry and obviously it is a business and and different publishers have different strengths and have different yeah. needs um so just like as 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 someone who's, who's sort of been in that world for a little bit um what did, what advice would you give to someone if they were like starting their writing career and they're like should i self-publish because that's starting to be a more common thing, a more accepted thing, you know, 10 years ago, self-publishing was like, well, did you fail? Uh, but now, yeah. you know, it's way more accepted. It's, 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 um, the quality is there. Um, mm-hmm. and traditional publishing does have these limitations. So, you know, if you could go back or if, you, or if you were starting your writing career now, would you change anything about how you did your writing career back when it started? Yeah, I would say, I mean, probably, uh, but then also no, because I learned so much. I think you, mm. I think you have to ask yourself the question: What are you willing to do? So the 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 upside of traditional publishing is, although they don't always do it super well, you do have like a whole team of marketing um, alongside of you, and so you're never like going into the abyss alone. Um, so you kind of have a network built in. Uh, with a traditional publishing publisher, you get, you know, obviously like a financial um, burst right up top, which helps ease the process because you start a novel and then by the time it actually comes out, it's been 24 months almost. Um, by the time you write it, edit it, turn it in, the cover gets made. I mean, you know, it, it doesn't always have to be that slow. Um, and I think self-publishing, obviously, there aren't as many limitations. But um you know, so traditional publishing, it gives you lots of support. It gives you a lot of in-house tools that are incredibly helpful, especially if you're just starting out and you don't really understand the market. 
um, if you're young, if you can do it that way and you can be patient and you can work with the team and you need the support, then traditional publishing, in my mind, uh, it was great for me for those purposes. Now, if you if you are like a beast, you know, like, a, I mean, like a Katie Cross, I don't know if you know who that is, but um, she is like a self-publishing, like, queen and she can manage and do all the things that are necessary because with you know self-publishing especially you know while I've watched her journey it's like you're not only writing you're writing you're working you're finding your editors you're finding your cover designers you're marketing I mean you are a you your brand and your business is you and at the end of the day you're responsible for it so if you think you've got like the gumption to do that to like step out into the unknown almost alone. I mean, you definitely still have support, obviously, but in a different way, not not as traditional. And you can like market, you know, at the crap out of your work and you can, you know, and you're ready to like go out there and sell it and you're ready to, then I think, I think or self-publishing is an incredible tool. And I'm so glad the stigma of, oh, you were self-published because you failed is leaving because there are people who can just do that. I, I might be able to do that now. I couldn't have done that when I started. That's just not in my personality as much. Um, so, you know, you have to just ask yourself, like, what, what am I willing to do? Like, what will serve me best? Because the worst position to get yourself in, and I think this happens a lot, especially with young authors or new authors, um, is that it just, they become so drained. And so, like, I, I feel like I'm doing everything I can and nothing's working. Um, and some of that's just par for the course, but maybe you're taking a route that isn't suited best for who you are and what your strengths are. So I think you just have to like really ask yourself, that's what would be my advice. Okay. Like what's going to suit you best? You know, are, are you the go getter who will just do all, who will write the books, who doesn't mind, you know, doing all of the marketing, doing all of the, like you and, and, and the idea of like having this traditional team which does come with strings through a publisher not suit you then yeah self-publishing is a beautiful choice and you know but if you're if you if you don't want to go that way then traditional publishing does work um but the truth is that it's all kind of changing anyways so i'm not even sure either of those i think it'll probably all merge into one thing to be you know anyways i'm not traditional publishing i have no idea the state of where it'll be as, as everything changes, as people, you know, try to find new ways to connect with readers, as readers find new places to connect with authors, it's just, it's all constantly evolving and changing. So the second you think you've got it figured out, it changes again. Yeah, and there, so there, like really yeah there, there, there are pros and cons to, to each side. And I think that different genres probably fare better uh, under... Yeah. On, on, on different sides. So I think we're going to end up seeing a lot where authors are uh, not tied to, to one or the other, but it might be like, hey, this particular project is best for traditional publishing. So I pitched it to the right publisher um, yeah. and, and they picked it up. But you know, this is my passion project or this is a different genre. And so I'm going to write this you know, over here. And it, it's really, it's an exploration for for mm-hmm. authors and it's exploration for publishers too to figure out what works and what can what Absolutely. can sell books and what what the audience wants. Um, so it, it's it, it's really I think this is a, this is an interesting time in publishing and that we've not really been been here before because there's so much opportunity mm-hmm. uh, there's so much opportunity to to self publish a book 
Uh, but you know, 10 years ago, you had the opportunity, but it was much harder to do in a quality way. And now the industry's kind of yeah. caught up to it. And it's not just like, okay, I imported my Word document to Amazon and now it's a book. Right. Uh, you know, now we've, we've kind of figured out how to make everything work. Um, and there are things that, that work well for traditional publishing. And there are things that work well for for self publishing. Um, one other yeah, thing that absolutely. I wanted, to, one other thing that I, I wanted to ask you, and and I, um, the last time that we had you on this podcast was for mm-hmm. Girl Behind the Red Rope, and uh, we also had your father Ted Decker on as well. So oh. I could I couldn't ask these questions because I think it might embarrass him. Does your dad? I don't know. Your dad may not get embarrassed that easily. Um, but <laughs> what? What sort of influence uh, was his writing career? You know, you're you're growing up, you're seeing his writing career grow. Um, mm-hmm. What influence was that on you deciding to also write? Um, well, I think that it showed me that it was possible. Um, you know, it was that. I, I was the kid who sat in my room and dreamed of being an author, but then also lived with one who had made it a reality. So I think that gave me an advantage because there was a level of confidence and like firsthand experience with it becoming an actual possibility. Um, and so that was, I think, really major I, subconsciously, I think. I mean, I didn't know that that's what was happening. I just thought, oh, if you want to be a writer, you just become a writer. Like, hello, that's what people do. Hello, my dad's a writer. I mean, it was that kind of attitude. I didn't I didn't have the sense of like, oh, my gosh, am I ever going to be able to do this until much later um, when I was actually trying to do it? And it was really hard, um, you know, after college. So I think that growing up just gave me an insane amount of confidence, which, you know, I'll always thank, be thankful for. That and, you know, then also the work ethic, I think, was huge. I mean, my dad, every day without fail, was in his office from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Monday through Friday, like any, and then sometimes after dinner, too, he'd go back, um, and he just, as you know from the rate of the novels that he put out, I mean, he just would grind those novels out. I mean, that he could not be stopped. Um, and so I watched him. It wasn't like, oh, I'm a writer and sometimes I'm working and sometimes I'm not. No, he was always working, always, always. Um, and, you know, I actually could benefit from some of that even even currently. I remind myself, like, okay, you know, this, yeah, this, this is the way it goes. Like, every day you don't get a free pass. Like, you have days where you don't feel inspired, then you do something else, that it helps either inspire you or helps you work on your craft. I mean, my dad was just, you know, his work ethic is insane. So getting to witness both of those firsthand, I think was incredibly um, instrumental to my own, you know, to the gumption that's needed to do this full time um, to those kind of like self-discipline aspects that are required. Um, I, I would say that probably it wasn't until much later when his actual writing started to inspire me because I was young and a lot of stuff was way too inappropriate for me to read. When I first started, you know, my main inspirations early on were like, you know, Chronicles of Narnia and Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. And, you know, those were the books that I was just, and they actually were given to my grandmother. Um, they, you know, The Hobbit, like all of the, the 
that was all where my original um, inspiration to to write came. Like people are always like, "Oh, did you see your dad writing?" and think, "Ooh, I'm going to be a writer." And I was like, "No, I read Language in the Wardrobe, got to the end, and was so moved." I thought, "How do you do this to somebody? How can I write something that does this to somebody?" You know, those were the moments I remember being really inspired. Um, just because obviously my dad wasn't writing anything, you know, three would have been totally inappropriate for me to read at 12. Like, hello, <laughs> people would have, I would have had nightmares. So, or, you know, Adam or any of, any of those ones that were too dark for me until I was, until I was a teenager. And then I think there was an interesting thing that happened where I started writing um, about 12 or 13, I had started writing. I wrote my first novel at 12. It was like 80 pages. It was really a novella. It was really a short story. And I, you know, I was like, oh, I wrote a novel. And I gave it to my dad. And my dad was like, wait, what? You write? You're, wait, why? What do you, I mean, you know, there, it, it was a weird thing because he was so busy and consumed with his work as, you know, he should be. And um, I was just kind of doing it for fun because I had been inspired by other work I had written. And there was this moment where he was like, wait, you wrote this? And I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to be a writer. And he was like, um, well, maybe you could consider being something else because, you know, he also then knew all the, the flip side of that and how hard it can be and the, and the, and the tenacity and kind of tough skin that you have to have to do this. And so through high school, even as I was writing short stories and, you know, my first full-length novel and going into college and writing and just always kind of writing within the background. And it was always this idea that I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm studying communications because I want to be a writer. And that's what you study when you don't want to actually have a normal career. And, you know, he was like, well, maybe you should study something else. Like maybe you should study psychology. Maybe you should, you know, I mean, writing is great, but only like one in a billion make it. And it's like really, really hard to do. And I just, so there was almost like a deterrent for a long time or where, and, and so I say all of that to say that gave me this kind of resolve and gum and, you know, this kind of attitude where I was like, well, I'm going to do it because he thinks I can't because he's like, and it wasn't that he thought I couldn't. It's that he was just afraid of what I would face if I really got into this um, arena, but he, he was never, and he would, not mind me saying this. He was never the dad. I was like, you can do anything you want. Like you can do anything you put your mind to. He was too like, Oh no, the world is a really harsh place. And if you, and, and I see the love you have for this, but so just like do it for fun. Like just because the second you attach money and success to it, then it becomes a different monster and that monster can, can come for you. So, you know, and it's not kind. Um, and and so be be careful what you wish for kind of idea, which was not what I expected. Um, and so, you know, so we had many years of that. And, you know, I published The Choosing before he had ever read it. So I like worked, I, I you know, I definitely got in the door. Uh, my, my agent at the time recommended I go Rochelle Decker instead of Rochelle Rediger, which I did not want to do. But I was like, they were like, look, there's a brand associated with the name. You've got to do it. Like the like publishers, they'll look at your stuff, but they, but you know, they want, they've already requested like a name change. And I was like, um, okay, so this is the way it's going to be. So I'll go Rochelle Decker, even though I don't really want to at the time. Um, and got my, you know, and one of the first questions I got asked on my first call with a publisher concerning the choosing was, what did your dad think about this? And I was like, oh, he hasn't read it. You know, I, and, and that was, 
at request of my dad, like, he's like, I don't want to read this until you sell it because I don't want to have any influence over this. Like it needs to be something you do. Um, and so, yeah. And so I eventually did sell that to Tyndale before my dad had read it um, and worked with an editor in house over there, uh, Jeremy, who was incredible. And, you know, like when I got the arts in my hand, that's when my dad read that for the first time. Um, and that's kind of been my process through, you know, having Ted Decker as a dad. Um, but, uh, and then now, of course, everything is very different. And anytime I have a question about anything, I call him. <laughs> He's like my sounding board because he understands crafting stories so well that when I'm like in a rut or I've hit a wall, then I'm incredibly fortunate to have a resource where I can call and be like, uh, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I did. I wrote myself into a corner and I can't see how to get out through the trees and you know, do you, like, what would you do here? Um, but that was definitely not the case when I started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it, it's, it's just so interesting because I know, yeah, you know, I, I've known Ted for a while and had the opportunity to work with him and, and talk with him and know his personality. And I, I just know how he has responded to, you know, things that I have written and, and, and yep. say, so just be like, oh, I don't even have that connection. So, you know, just the, the man has a passion for the written word, whether it's his or other people's. And I'm, yeah. I'm sure seeing it in yours is just both like, there's both that like heights of like, this is wonderful. This is the best thing she could do, but then, Oh no, this is such a dangerous thing to be doing. There's always, <laughs> you know, there's the down, all the downsides of it as well. Um, yeah. So that's, it, that's just, this is just so funny. Um, do you ever, do you ever think uh, to kind of go back to? Do you, I mean, do you, do you find your? Do you think that you'll return to um, why novels in the future? Do you feel like that you might? You know, you wrote "Girl Behind the Red Rope" with your dad. Uh, do you see that being a connection that you ever make again, or like kind of what? What are your general feelings of like what you're gonna do? after this into the future yeah um well i'm I'm gonna do another novel on another rochelle decker novel that kind of ties into nine that's kind of my next project um so i stay kind of in this like suspense contemporary adult vein um and then actually i just finished a like a middle grade series, which is funny because we've had many conversations about the middle grade series um, that Ted and Kara, my sister did. Um, And so I just finished another middle grade series that uh, with Ted, which, you know, what co-write his name is on it. He was really mostly just a part of uh, forming the story. um, And then the writing was, you know, done through me and I'm working with Aaron Healy. Um, and uh, as, a, as the main editor on that series, and that actually comes out here uh, on October 15th. So there'll be, um, so I, so now I've dipped into middle grade as well, uh, which is something I wouldn't, I never ever thought I did would do, which was a blast. Uh, middle grade is such a fun genre to write in. So we do have that coming out, which is a collaborative vision between the two of us. Um, as far as adult collaborating, uh, goes again. I don't know. I mean, you know, he's kind of working on his, he's got a solo project, um, that is coming out uh, sometime next year. Obviously I've got nine coming out September 1st and I've got another book that will probably come out end of next year. 
um, that I'm getting ready to jump into. So, but we're both very busy currently. I think we work well together. The more we work together, the more uh, over, more of, of the overcoming of our differences we find, the better we learn to communicate. Um, you know, we we know what my strengths are and what I bring to to the table when it comes to a novel, and you know what his strengths are, which are many more, and what he brings when it comes when we're together. Um, so I definitely think that there'll be more co-writing. I think it would be it's kind of silly not to. I mean, it's so fun to work together, and we have very similar. Um, ideas when it comes to theme of novels that you know it seems kind of like a no-brainer to just continue to work together and he's my dad so like that's fun like why not mm-hmm. um, so yeah I definitely think there'll be more collaborative projects as, but alongside our own individual projects as well just be a, man- a matter of like time management yeah. for it all yeah. All right, so I have to ask you this question. See, you you brought up this collaborative project in October, and you may not be able to tell me much about it, but I have to follow up on mm-hmm. it. And just what <laughs> what can you tell me about it? Because you know this is we're recording this in um, you know in, in August. Um, this will be released sort of at the end of August, right before Nine is released in September. So it's only like mm-hmm. you know a month, a month and a half away. And you know this is this is kind of new information. So what 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 have you been hiding? Yeah, you know, lots of things, Josh. I had <laughs> no. Um, I, we're just yeah. We you know with Dream Traveler's Quest, uh, which is a middle grade series that Ted Decker and Kara Decker did, mm-hmm. like almost a year and a half ago, um, that they kind of put out uh, just. Not, I don't want to say flippantly, but they kind of were like, hmm, I we have no idea. Like, no, but like, do do middle grade Christian readers like are, are do they exist? Where are they? Like, is there fiction for them? Um, you know, there isn't a huge space. There definitely is some great stuff out there, but there wasn't a huge space or a huge a huge amount of content in that space. And um, you know, my sister Kara had this idea and kind of teamed up with my dad, and they put out those books, and they actually ended up doing fairly well. And there was this idea of, like, we want more. Like, is there more content coming from the Decker universe um, in this kind of middle grade area? And, uh, you know, my dad was like, okay, well, Rochelle, would you have any interest in maybe tackling another series? Totally different, totally different set of characters, totally different universe. It actually doesn't um, tie into the Circle series at all, um, but still has those Decker themes that everybody expects. And I was like, I don't know, thought about it for a while. And then I was like, yeah, maybe like, okay, like, let's try it. I don't know if I can write middle grade. That's a totally different thing. Um, and it was really, really fun. We had a great time with it. Um, it's going to be the Millie Maven series. Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure how much more I'm allowed to say about it, but it should be available in October uh, for the holiday season. It's going to be a trilogy. So there'll be three of them instead of four. They're a little bit longer um, and a little bit older. So, you know, not quite YA, but leaning that direction um, where Dream Travis Quest is, pro- is is a little bit more traditional middle grade or on the low end of the middle grade. Um, so, yeah, I think they're going to be, I mean, I have no idea how they'll do. This is a total, totally new experience for me because 
so far all of my publishing has been traditional. So this is kind of the first time I've done anything where, you know, I've written it and we're going to put it out there and we'll just see how it does. Um, But I'm excited. They were really, really fun to write. We, we basically just wrapped them. So um, we'll see how they do. Yeah. Well, that's, that's exciting. I think that that's, uh, I, I know that a lot of the feedback that I received from, from girl behind the red rope was like, I hope they keep doing this. Um, yeah. so I, I think to, to see that and just kind of see it in a different project, um, because you know, you're right. There's not a whole lot of, of middle grade fiction out there. Um, you know, I started kind of looking around myself, not because, you know, my children are two and one, so they're not anywhere near there yet but i was being asked by other you know other parents who had kids that age oh what would you recommend and i'm like i don't know i don't know i don't know what i recommend um and and so you know kind of there's not a whole lot there's not a whole lot that's out there and also what i found was like what is out there is you know older um from the 90s even so so recently there's not been a whole lot so it definitely does fill a niche that is being underutilized at the moment. All right, last yeah. question, and then I'll I'll let you go. Um, what, if you can recall, what was what was the first Ted Decker novel that you read? Oh, that is a great question. First one I read was Blink. Yeah. Wow. Because I was a teenager Same. and I was into romance. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, Blink That's is my why first. I for it. Yeah. Yeah. I think because, Dad, I want to write, I mean, I want to read something of yours that isn't so dark and scary. So, Mm. you know, can I read, like, what would you recommend? I think, if I'm recalling correctly, I think he he may have, Blink may have been the most recent one. Mm -hmm. And he was like, you should read Blink. It's really fun. (laughs) There's a romance in it. It's a chase novel. And I was like, okay. And I, I, I think to this day, that still may be my favorite Ted Decker book. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a strong statement. It's a, yeah, very, it's a very, good book. very good one. It's a, very it's good a book. great, great book. So I, I loved that. And then I, right after that, I think Blessed Child. Mm-hmm. I think those were the first two. And then I think I went into the Heaven's Wager series. Mm-hmm. which, you know, if you've read for, for your listeners, I know you have, who read that first Heaven Wagers novel, that scene where he's <laughs> stealing the corpse is like still, to this day, we're trying to put it in the trunk. I mean, it just uh-huh. makes me chuckle still. It was a yeah. brilliant, brilliant scene. Um, yeah. And then I think I was hooked and I read it. I read them all. I was, I'm kind of the only reader in our family other than my mom. So like mm-hmm. of the siblings, I'm the only one who really loves to read. My brother has gotten into reading later in life. Um, but he basically just reads sci-fi. It's so like Ender's Game, you know, Ready Player One, mm-hmm. you know, Red Rising series. Like that's kind of his, his jam. But so I would like, I was the one who was like waiting for my dad to give it to me. Um, as soon as it was like ready, like as soon as he had finished it and it was, the editing was done to get to read it before it even came out. So, and at the time, you know, Kindle wasn't a thing really. So he would like print it out for me. So I would like carry around like these, this thick printed novel and I would read it and he'd be like, where are you? He'd like lean over my shoulder. He'd be like, what part are you on? What are you reading right now? I'm like, daddy, you need to leave me alone. So I can read this. Or I would laugh and he'd be like, what was funny? Because he wanted to know what had made me laugh out loud. And I find myself now doing the same things with my husband. Like mm-hmm. when he's reading my book and he'll be sitting across from me reading it on his Kindle and he'll like chuckle and I'll look at him and he'll be like, do you want to know what's funny? I was like, I do, I do. I really want to know what you thought was funny. So it's just an interesting thing to, um, it was a really endearing experience to have with him and now to be having it myself is pretty cool. Yeah. 
All right, well, Rochelle, thank you for taking your time to be on the podcast today. Again, the book is nine, and it releases on September 1st, so uh, go pre-order it. Go to your local independent bookstore and tell them to have it in stock. Um, you know, Call them if you can't go there. Um, anyway, this is, a, this is a great book. Uh, it is exciting. It is fast-paced. It deals with the themes of identity and belonging. And it's going to keep you hooked. I read it in one sitting, and you may not be able to do that, but I bet it's not going to be too many more sittings than that for you.